Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And today we have the Reverend Lori Kaiser Boswell. Um, <laughs> uh, Pastor Lori is a pre-nominee for Bishop. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, all the conferences in the Sierra Pacific Synod uh, got together and they lifted up names for candidates for Bishop. And Pastor Lori's uh, name was lifted up and she allowed her, her name to go forward. So she's one of the pre-nominees. Uh, Pastor Lori, you know, we thought it, we want to get to know you and, and rather than just kind of tell, you know, ask you about your, your childhood and all that kind of stuff. Um, can, can you tell us, uh, one of your favorite childhood memories, either inside the church or outside the church? Hmm. That's interesting. Favorite childhood memories. Uh, you know, inside the church, I didn't even come back to the church until a teenager. Uh, I was baptized at six weeks old and then for various reasons, didn't go back until I was a teenager. So I'm trying to think a favorite childhood memory probably would be, okay, this is going to sound so funny. I grew up in the Willamette Valley. My family didn't have a lot of money. And so in summertime, my mom would work in the berry fields and take us three kids along. And we would get our little card stamped for everything. And then at the end of the summer, we would go to the Clackamas County Fair. And just that whole, this was money I earned to go to the fair was, was just a neat thing. Well, and I was really probably all about seven or eight. <laughs> Do you that's enjoy really the cool. county fair? I'm sorry? Do you enjoy the county fair? I really do. I, I I grew up like three blocks away from the fairgrounds in Canby. And living here in Wairika, we have the Siskiyou Golden Fair, which just finished this weekend. And I, I go a bunch. <laughs> it's all the same stuff, and I don't care. I go a bunch. I love the county fair too. It's one of my favorite things to go to every year. I have to like drag my family along. Um, but it's good to know that there are some people who like myself, like going to the county fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's really awesome. I also love the fair. Um, uh, Jeremy and I used to go when we were kids to, we, it used to be called the Del Mar fair in San Diego and, but now it's called the San Diego fair. Uh, but uh, yeah, we still love that. Uh, I think that there's this, um, you know, past uh, people in congregations, lay people, you know, they, they kind of know what pastors do a little bit, uh, but, but sometimes they don't know what we do in our like off time. Like we actually get off time, you know? And so do you like, what do you do in your off time? Do you have any hobbies? Uh... <laughs> That's funny. Um, my hobbies are probably doing Sudoku on my phone, but my family's hobby is for almost the entire time we've been here in Siskiyou County, 
one or the other member of our family has raced cars at the dirt tracks. And it started with my husband and then he infected the boys and even our daughter tried for a year. Um, and so we spend a lot of time fixing up cars, repairing damage to cars, trying to figure out why the cars are the bane of our existence and, and then going and getting really dirty on Thursday, on Saturday nights. Um, that's something our family loves doing together. In fact, uh, for a number of years, I was in the, the timing tower, the scoring tower at our track, and I was the voice in the driver's ears to tell them yellow flag, green flag, those kind of things. Have you ever gotten behind the wheel yourself? Um, yeah, a couple times. Back, way back when uh, Brad first had his mini stock, he said, we're going to share this. We're both going to do it. And I was out for hot laps and the car started giving me trouble and I went straight into the front wall and busted something on the wheel. So all the guys in the pit said, oh, we can get her back out. We can get her back out. And I said, stop. To be a race car driver, you have to be willing to overpower the horsepower. You have to fight it and tell it where to go. And I'm too much of a defensive driver. Mm. I, oh, I'll figure out how to control this spin or let the spin go. And it's like, that's not what you can do on a track. So I said, let me be a pit person. Let me be a sponsor. Let me do anything else. Don't put me behind the wheel again. So how cool that you actually got on the wheel and, and, oh, yeah. and then, yeah. yeah, that's, that's so, that's so fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, is there any, any, um, we're kind of changing lanes on you now, but, uh, our, oh, that's funny. Track changing lanes. What are kind of some spiritual practices that you cling to that you find meaningful for yourself you know are, are there any specific things that you just find yourself coming back to again and again as as ways to connect to god um anything musical singing uh listening to music it can be ecclesiastical music or even secular music if if it has a positive thing to it i will be in my car with the windows rolled down, just belting out songs. Um, and so that's a big way I connect with God because I am bivocational right now. I think it's tri or quad vocational. And I know my life gets a little crazy and takes me away from God every day at three sixteen. my phone chimes and reminds me to pray. Mm. So even when I'm running off doing all these other things, and if I'm in the middle of something and I can't stop everything and pray, I hear that chime and I take a moment to thank God for being there with me. Mm. Um, well, that's one of the, the things I do because I, I just love spending time in prayer and in scripture study and, and that, and I don't get to do as much of it easily with juggling all these positions and so i found that's one way and and if i'm in the midst of doing nothing 
or can set things aside, then I actually take that time and just bask in those moments of prayer. I, well, I, I think like that's that cool that you have a, a, like a reminder every single day. It's kind of like a singing bowl where you tap the singing bowl. It's yeah. like, okay, it's going to center me right now. It's it's like hearing church bells off in the distance, yeah. you know? That's what I was going to uh, say, it was the church bells. You know, like, oh, okay, a reminder, you know? Uh, uh, I, I think that's, that's pretty beautiful. Do you have any hymns that you like that are just deeply ingrained or songs that are like deeply ingrained into your spirituality? Um, well, I worry every time we sing children of the heavenly father here, that if my sons are in the building, they'll fall asleep because that was what I would sing to them as, as babies. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would try to do thy holy wings, but I'd lose track of the verses and children I have down. Um, so that's one that just resonates with me. Um, any of the versions and the games that have been played with Amazing Grace, I enjoy. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, I'm I'm pretty eclectic and pretty open. There's very few songs of faith that don't get my heart racing and my spirit flying so that's awesome yeah that's that's yeah. cool that you cling to that it's spiritual practice is is really the the singing that's a good that to me sounds like a good lutheran thing yeah 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 <laughs> we, we, we hold it on to the music in that way um how, uh, uh so you you have been a pastor in wairika for a while yes uh, and and um i mean just you've also served other places, I think. Uh, uh, is that? Yeah. Our first call was uh, Four Point Parish in North Dakota. Oh, nice. Um, when Brad ended up taking time off, so he was two years behind me in seminary. And so I awaited, I postponed first placement. And we, when we did our initial paperwork, we checked the box that said available to go anywhere. And looked at each other and said, here we go. We're heading to the Dakotas. And <laughs> we were right. Eastern North Dakota was the first six and a half years of our ministry. And then we came out here and we followed a long-term pastor. So we thought, you know, all the statistics say you go in after a long pastorate and you're like a long interim. You're there three years tops. We've been here 26 years. Wow. Wow. We I, and well, that shows uh, in my mind a success for you. Uh, like we, you know, ministry has highs and lows, doesn't it? And yeah. and I think uh, it's really important that we hold on to the successes that we have in ministry. And so for you, is there anything like that, any successes that you've had in ministry that you just, you cling to when when the other parts are maybe not so great? Hmm. I think some of my successes or, or our successes here are um, ours is a very conservative county and but not 100% conservative. So it's also a very divided county. And from the very get go, we've been able to say that we have folks sitting in the pews who are staunch right wing and 
way off to the left wing and just loving on each other. Mm. And I, I just love that when I walk in here and I know I'm going to be talking to people who would never vote the same way, but they all find the love of God here and they love each other here. Um, so that is to me an exciting, an exciting thing that I, I cherish about the people here and about the, the ministry we've had here. That's, I mean, that's wonderful. It seems to me like our country can be so divided at times, uh, especially around election cycles and, and, uh, and the fact that your congregation can, can, you know, worship at the foot of the cross together, uh, and, and still be united in that way. Um, despite whatever political leanings they may have, mm -hmm. or, or, uh, that, that sounds really, sounds really beautiful to me. Yeah. And it's truly a success. That, yeah. That's really a success. Um, yeah. Uh, so I just learned the other day, uh, Pastor Lori, that there are three expressions of our church. Because um, <laughs> I didn't grow up ELCA, right? Like, and so I actually listened to that podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that there's the 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 church wide, right? Which is mm -hmm. church wide, and then there's the the synod, and then the congregation. Those are the three expressions of the church. Mm -hmm. um, in your understanding, what 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 do you think is the purpose the function of the synod office and your role as bishop yeah i see the the purpose of of the the synod and really even the um churchwide as being the i don't want to say the glue that holds us together but being focused on how do we work together how how do we complement each other? How do we support each other? Um, and so the the synod, the role of the synod is to support and encourage and sometimes admonish and control the local congregations in the ministry because the local congregations know their community and their community's needs. And if we don't know the community's needs, that's where we need that admonition and get out there and figure it out. Um, but we've got the, the boots on the ground and can do the ministry to our community. Sometimes what we don't have are the resources, whether that's academic resources or even financial resources. And that's where... Um, the larger church, whether it's a synod or churchwide, can help us with maybe printed and those kind of resources, teaching resources, um, theological resources. And sometimes, and I would like to see us do it more, but I know that right now a majority of the churches in our synod are having trouble paying their bills. Um, but I see that partnership. Uh, St. James down in Reading for a number of years subsidized the ministry at Holy Trinity in Weaverville. They sent money every month over there um, because Reading, metropolis of the North and successful community 
and doing all this wonderful stuff. And Weaverville, tiny little gold rush town, but had this wonderful faithful church. And so St. James helped make that happen. Uh, so even sometimes that financial, those resources, right now that's a limited thing. You know, I've seen the budgets, it's not there. Uh, but then that prayerful support. And I know the part of the synod's job is to uh, make sure that congregations and clergy are staying true to our Lutheran roots and our call to be those settings of, of word and sacrament and how we hold all of our wonderful um, Lutheran identities, intention and stuff. Um, so there are times that the synod has to have that parental role of admonishing and correcting. I'm convinced though, the more we do to support one another, build one another up, love on one another, the less we need to do the cajoling and the admonishing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just my bias. <laughs> I think uh, you said in your paperwork mm -hmm. that uh, that you filled out and and every all of the pre nominees filled out a series of questions, which I encourage everybody to to look at and and read over um, on the Synod website. The, on the Synod, yeah, it's on the Synod website. Yeah. Um, you you said that you think that that healing needs to be brought to the Synod, and we won't talk specifically about about what exactly happened, but but healing. How how would you imagine going forward? that you as bishop and the synod office would help bring healing? Like, have you thought about specifically how that would work for you? Well, I think a big first step in healing is naming the woundedness. Mm -hmm. And um, we have so much woundedness and it's not just the last couple of years. It's, well, it goes back to the pandemic. It goes to prior to that. It probably some of it, you guys are maybe a little too young to remember this. I remember when the LCA, ALC and AELC were merging to form the new Lutheran church. Uh, I think there's even still some woundedness that goes back to that. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's just the woundedness in our synod of our land. We, you know, we have been on stolen land and there has been power struggles and um, those kind of things. Right now, I hope it's not in the ELCA or the Sierra Pacific Synod, but white Christian nationalism is just rampant and that's what the world is hearing. Mm -hmm. That's the message they're hearing about who God and Jesus are. And so people are leaving the church in droves, not just the ELCA because they're thinking, I don't want to be about that, that hate and that, that woundedness. Um, and so just being able to name the pain and for, for some congregations, it's, this is our pain for some individuals. It's, this is our pain for some regions, but to be able to name that pain in a safe place. Um, and I'm not sure how we would set up those safe listening posts. 
you know, in, in my work in social work in the community, we're all about trauma-informed care and trauma-informed systems. And some of that is just recognizing the words we use mm -hmm. and the pain that can cause. And, and I know some people call that, you know, wokeism or being politically correct. You know, I am painfully aware on a regular basis how words themselves have caused pain unintentionally. And so to be able to be mindful of that and not defensive, like if somebody tells me that phrase you used hurt to be able to stop and say, thank you for sharing and not put that off. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. Can you tell me what about it was painful and what I can do to be different? And so some of that is just on a systematic level to be able to come face to face with the people who have felt left out or unheard in our synod or larger church and say, we understand that you're hurting. We are sorry for any part we played in that pain. Can you, can you share it? Go ahead and confront me with it. And what can I do to change that? So you're imagining the first part of your, your, if you were to become Bishop, of of is is you said somehow setting up listening posts uh in some way uh and then just being that that voice to hear the pain of of the trauma that has been caused is that what i'm hearing right now yes and from what i have seen i have seen that already happening on a certain level with our interim bishop bishop claire and with our vice president, Simon Wong, they mm -hmm. are intentionally being out there, talking with people, listening to the pain. So it's not like day one, we'd flip a switch and it'd be something new. It would just be continuing that healing work that has already been, been happening so that we can move forward. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really important first step, right? Um, mm -hmm. what do you imagine after that first step? Uh, after that, it probably even while we're, we're doing it, we start looking at those tough questions. Um, hate to use the word triage, but you know, I grew up watching MASH and looking at where yeah. the, the highest needs are and the best use for resources and how to pull together resources. Hmm. You know, hmm. we have... I can only imagine this, but we have some communities where there's four or more ELCA Lutheran churches within a stone's throw of each other. Okay, not quite a stone's throw. You'd have to be Thor to throw that far, but you know, <laughs> fairly close together. Um, and there has been a history, back to the woundedness, a history of competition instead of cooperation. So how can how can we get those settings to look in terms of cooperation and collaboration for the best use of God's resources. Yeah. You know, this is Pastor all gift Lori, from God. Yeah. You're, you're speaking my language here. You're speaking <laughs> okay. my love language because uh, uh, we have a church near us. I, I am at Good Shepherd in Concord and we okay. have um, St. Matthew in Walnut Creek. St. Matthew is a much bigger, wealthier congregation than us. But me mm -hmm. and Pastor Rustin are constantly talking about how do we see each other as extensions of each other's ministry 
in cooperation um, and not in any kind, like, like we're, we're not competing against each other. It's all mm -hmm. for the kingdom of God. You know, so I love what you have to say there. Um, you know, part of being a pastor, we, we can learn about it educationally, right? Like we do in seminary, we can do a little bit of it on internship, but part of it is learning while you're on the job, right? Like, like oh, yeah. you're going to be, you're going to learn how to be Bishop on the job. You, they got like schools that they put you in for that and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, yeah. but, you know, as our synod needs a strategic plan. And so I'm not asking for what the strategic plan is because you're, you're going to have to hear and listen and do all that kind of stuff. But how would you go about creating a strategic plan? Not, not what is it, but how would you, how would you go about creating a plan? One of my first steps for creating a strategic plan is to not reinvent the wheel is to lean on and listen to and learn from the the folks who are already trying this. You know, I had an hour long plus conversation with uh, our Senate vice president the other evening. And I got more and more excited to hear some of his vision and ideas for for the Senate. And I thought, well, I sure hope that our next Senate, our next bishop, sits down and listens to what Simon has already envisioned. Not necessarily just rubber stamping, okay, we're going with that, but hearing he's been doing this for a year now and has background in uh, both the corporate world and history in the church that he saw in back in Hong Kong. Um, so I, I'd be talking to people who've already sort of looked at that. Um, but then we'd be looking at, again, how do we best use the resources? How do we lift one another up? Um, so I, I don't always like things being super centralized. This comes from the person who is closer to the Oregon Synod than to the Sierra Pacific Synod geographically. I mean, I'm gonna go up to an installation in Grants Pass in a couple of weeks because it's closer than anything. Um, so when when things get totally focused at the, the corporate office, as it were, the folks outside of, on the edges, start distrusting or just feeling disconnected. Oh, it doesn't matter to me, they're way over there. Um, so a, a part of that would be listening to the wisdom of the far out churches or the churches doing, doing new things and different things. Um, I am reminded that I think it's a Luther quote, the church of the reformation must always be reforming. Hmm. And that means we, we look at what the needs are right now and how to meet them so it would be some of the same kind of stuff we did for the healing whether it's regional or yeah regional meetings conference meetings uh zoom meetings i love that we can do this even though i get a little nervous with technology i'm kind of old for technology <laughs> i use it all the time though but saying okay so what is our goal our goal is a sustainable ministry 
But the reason for that is we want the love of God, the grace preached. There's so much law and fear and hate preached. We want to be that voice for God's love and grace. So if that's our ultimate ministry, our ultimate mission is sharing God's love and grace. How do we do that? Do we do we utilize our deans the way uh, Bishop Claire has been to be the the synod exploded out? Mm-hmm. You know, can we lift up the deans more and stipend them a little like we have so that they're adding this to their ministry? I recognize that could mean a difference in how deans are selected. You know, mm-hmm. the the pastor of the busiest church with the most programs might not be the person to be dean of a conference. Um, because they might not be able to have that focus. So thinking in in terms of that, can we use the deans better or even more to to get the message out and to to build up? And it's going to mean those those questions about does a congregation need to look at either holy closing or can congregations be parishes? I you talked mm-hmm. about the partnership. We had a formal parish out in North Dakota, four congregations, a whole constitution that said how giving worked together and how the pastors were utilized and all of that type of stuff. Right now in our in our neighborhood, the Methodist churches have tried being a regional parish. They've stubbed their toes a few times, but they've looked at there aren't enough ordained clergy. So how do they lift up lay pastors, lay leaders, and support one another? Um, On some level, there's a clergy shortage, but this is going to sound really painful because I'm serving a congregation that really cannot afford to have a pastor. Uh, We have a lot of congregations who can't afford pastors. I I think the last number was we have like 50 open calls, 50 churches in our synod, which need pastors. And, and a majority of those are, are can't uh, sustain a full-time pastor. Yeah. Ours would not be able to, if I wasn't willing to be bivocational, but I'm so committed to the ministry they're doing here and recognize that, again, I'm going to speak in my bias, how we are, a lone voice in the wilderness for grace and and love as opposed to fear and threats i'm going to do everything possible to keep this church going even if that means working full-time jobs elsewhere uh thankfully we've got folks in the congregation who've stepped up i have a, a retired nurse she was our parish nurse who when my schedule got crazy with multiple jobs. She took on the role of visiting our members who were in at home and, and couldn't get out very often. She kept that going faithfully because I couldn't get there nearly as often as was needed or as I wanted. Hmm. But she she found she felt that was her ministry, you know. So we're we're doing doing things very different here. And um, that's another thing. I know for years, way back years ago, when I was in seminary, they were talking about more lay leadership. You know, the 
team, T-E-E-M. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and some of those type of things, you know, the Methodists are really good at doing licensed lay ministers. That could be a way we're looking forward, especially if one, if we needed the person with the, um, with the credentials to, you know, you have to have an ordained pastor. Okay. Can one ordained pastor be over a team of well-trained and well-supported lay pastors, lay ministers, whatever term we want to use so that a number of churches that are regionally close to each other, but not able individually to support full-time ministry. Can, can we look at that? They've been doing it in the Dakotas for years. The, the bishops in the Dakotas have, have been doing stuff like that. Is that well, the, the, the congregations? Like we had a four point parish. Yeah. You know, they, they, that's how things have gone because you know, well, some of that is, you know, these congregations are over a hundred years old and, and there was that love for the building and the congregation and that's hard to get past, but it's a reality. And so, okay. So, can you continue so do you, ministry together, worshiping in separate places? Yeah. How, how does, uh, I, I exactly what you just said is, is kind of my experiences of church when they start talking to each other, uh, especially older congregations. It's like, wait, you want us to go to your church or you want us to close our church? Because I was, my kids were baptized at this church. I can't go to church and not look at this baptismal font. I can't go and not see this particular altar. Uh, so I'd rather die here in place. And I'd rather this church go with me then move somewhere else. And I'm, and I'm not being, you know, uh, no. I'm, I'm naming the unnamed, but that's, that's well, kind of what, what my, my experience, but, but on the, but what I really want to like get to with that is what were your ideas of these lay ministers is, do you know whether that's possible as a Bishop with our current constitutional structures, uh, the, the college of bishops, do you know if that idea that you have is, is that even uh, within our framework of of the way we do the ELCA? You know, on some levels it is, and and I have to admit I get really bogged down when I start trying to read the legalese of the Constitution, and <laughs> I deal with legalities all the time. In one of my other positions, I get so tired of loopholes and legalese. But we have been, the Lutheran Church in the United States has always used gifted, talented lay people to keep the church going and keep the mission going. Mm. And if we currently do not have the constitutional ability or structure to lift up and in some way um, set apart lay people, then maybe that's something for the, the commission that's meeting right now and chatting about what's our future really needs to take seriously. Absolutely. Because full-time tent maker ministry has been around since Priscilla and Aquila and St. Paul, you know, I mean, it's, 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 
it's true to our Christian roots. And if our structures are keeping that from happening, then we need to prayerfully look at and restructure those structures. Here's what I really like about about the way that you're talking, Pastor Lori. I really Mm -hmm. like that you're talking about you know, going out, creating a strategic plan, you know, but, but also thinking outside of the, of the regular way we do ministry in order that, that we can use all of our available resources in a restructured way to do the most good and spread the kingdom. I just, I I really like the way that you're thinking outside the box with all those things. Yeah. And, and, and some of that is, you know, maybe not out in the Dakotas, but pretty much ever since being here, our ministry has on one level or another been outside the box. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just after this many years of thinking, I always ask, well, why can't we? Let's try it, you know? And, and the, when the, what ifs come out, you know, what if it doesn't work? It's like, what if it does? Know, just take just, the chance, right? Like take the risk. Let's take a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think, uh, I want to pivot for a second back to, um, uh, uh, the, the, we, uh, Jeremy and I both went to the, the town hall that all the pre-nominees did. And we noticed that, uh, most people said, um, you know, that, there needed to be more connection with both the Senate office and between local congregations. Like, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, it just, it kind of just said it was just put out there and we're wondering like, okay, cool. Like, how would you do that though? Like, is there any, like, how would you specifically go out and, and, and try to provide as the Bishop more connection between the Senate office and congregations and maybe even congregations amongst co- together? Like, is there anything, spe- a specific plan you would, you've been batting around in your head uh, to make that sort of thing happen? Because everybody has that same idea. Yeah. How would you go about everybody. doing it? Well, and it's almost like, you know, it should have just been said, okay, we all know we need connection. Now what else? Right. <laughs> because how do we, how do we do it? How do we do right. it? You know, and um, there are a few things. I really appreciated um, Catherine. She lived up in the Pacific Northwest, but was on staff, a lay person. Yes. And she, she did a great job of making me feel connected. Mm. You know, she connected um, emails and visits and how can we help and this type of stuff. It was it was this wonderful breath of fresh air. And, and again, look, this was not an ordained assistant to the bishop. This was someone who just had that, that sense of how can we, how can we connect? I think it's very important for the, the bishop to be out in the congregations at as many worship opportunities as possible. And I know in a synod our size, there's always some special anniversary or event that the the bishop needs to be at. Um, But also finding a way to get to the other congregations. I will 
quick story. For about a year, I was holding some pain, and finally this week, I let go of that pain. Our 75th anniversary celebration was scheduled for the Sunday after the last Senate Assembly. Mm. And we scheduled it that, that date because that's what fit with the bishop's schedule. And then we all know what happened. And so there we were about to have this big celebration, and our synod wasn't going to be there. Well, no, mm. our synod was there because Bob came up from St. James and he brought a lay member who was on synod council and she stood up as a representative of the synod and said, we are here, we're connected. A whole bunch of people came over from Holy Trinity to worship with us. The synod was there. Maybe the bishop wasn't there or the bishop's assistants because they were all beat up and exhausted after an assembly but the synod came and celebrated with us. And for, for a few months, I was like, oh, I feel so bad. I wish we could have done it differently, but no, the synod was there. So that's one of the ways of encouraging the congregations to go to each other's events. You know, I, I tell stories on Holy Trinity because my sweetheart is there. Um, ever so often they'll decide to take a Sunday off and we're going to go worship somewhere else this Sunday. Hmm. You know? I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. They're small enough and can put a sign on the door to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, but, but how can we, you know, individual congregations who are close to each other, how can you do things together? Growing up in Clackamas County in Oregon, uh, during Lent, I remember we would do these series, and it was always the, the Luther League of each church up there would do a little one-act play, and then we rotated between the churches. So one week, I was from Zor, we were at Zor. The next week, our group was over at Maxburg, and maybe the folks from Aurora were at Zor. You know, it's like we we did this are there more ways at the congregational level to make those connections as well? Uh, but then, yeah, synod, the, the bishop, the bishop's assistants, synod staff, we need to give permission and encouragement for all the people who have the title synod whatever to intentionally go to congregations. Um, and with a little warning, so if the congregation wants to say, can we have a special coffee hour? Can we have a special uh, buffet? Um, why can't I have potluck? Can we, we want to sit down and talk and ask questions. Um, you know, and I know that would mean for the people who are hourly, if they're going to do this, making time in their weekly schedule. And not saying you're doing this every Sunday, you have your own church and your own life, but can you intentionally encourage that so that we have the face of the synod um, in all the churches? Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's just one of the, the things I've just been thinking of. Um, I will be honest with you, gentlemen. I sort of assumed that being way out here on the edges, I won't make it many ballots in before they say, who is that lady? We don't need her. 
but I'm going to keep talking about my my dreams and my visions for the church as long as my name is on an unofficial or official ballot. The Holy Spirit has done weird things in the past, Lori. You never know. <laughs> you just never know. Don't you never know? That's what people never around here out. keep reminding me. Never like, count her out. About the spirit all the time. It's, yeah, I know. I talk about the spirit all the time. Didn't. <laughs> I'm going to kind of jump ahead because we're at about 45 minutes right now. Mm -hmm. um, um, is there any question that you think we should ask you? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, you've yeah. done such a great job of asking in various directions that... Um, I guess it's not so much a question as an awareness. I notice a lot of people whose names get brought up for bishop have served on all kinds of synodical committees and that type of stuff. And it's not a lack of interest in the synod that has kept me off those committees. It's an awareness that, you know, until we could do a lot of Zoom meetings, it didn't make sense because mm, you're out on the edge to to use that kind of gas and wear and tear when they were perfectly capable people of doing things mm -hmm. now that we're in a zoom world i would love to see more people who think well i can't go to those events i can't go to those meetings well then let's do them virtually so that we get everybody yeah that's um can i want to i want to ask you just one more important question that i think is is a part of this you know Part of being bishop is putting out fires, is is dealing with conflict. It's it's kind of going in there and being the presence of Christ amidst chaos. Mm -hmm. What do you think your style of of conflict resolution is, and and how do you go about handling conflict? Um. My style begins with intentionally slowing down, breathing, and attempting to be that non-anxious presence. Hmm. You know, sometimes talking quieter, encouraging everyone to breathe, um, just so that we're not escalating. We're we're not. Um, dysregulating get us all kind of back i just was at a six-hour training yesterday about this kind of stuff uh you know get us back to a, a point where we can we're out of our amygdala and into our brain so we can we can hear and we can learn um but then also a part of that is individually you know, if the fire is a battle between camps, to sit and listen to each side individually, you know, without the, but no, that's not what we did. It's like, I just want to hear everything. And, and in listening to that, listening to and reflecting back the, the pain and the emotions that are under that. Because that's generally where the conflict comes, hmm. is at, at the emotional, at the pain level. So to be able to hear 
everyone and hear everyone's pain, even if fairly quickly I can recognize that one side has really not being inappropriate, but really has overreacted. That's not how I'm going to start. I'm going to start with where's the pain? What's the sense of feel? Where's the feeling? Then once I've heard both sides, try to bring them back. And actually, I will usually say, this is what I heard each side saying. You know, so it's someone from the outside saying now what, what has been, been said and what's, it's like, okay, does this sound accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now how do we come together? How do we resolve this? How do we move forward in this? And sometimes it might mean, you know, a divorce of we, these two groups, this person and this person cannot work together. Then how do we say uh, a sacred goodbye? Hmm. You know, um, I, I hear, I've heard it more than once to divorcing parents. You have to love your child more than you hate each other. And so even when there's those kind of fires and people have to step away from each other, okay, how do we still love the mission and stand at the foot of the cross, even when we have a hard time being together? Yeah. But I also, and as much as I hate confrontation, I am on the Enneagram. I'm a one, which means rules are important to me. And um, so if someone or some group is, is flouting the rules and it's not, like I said before, thinking outside of the box, it's just, I don't have to listen to that. I'm above the law. Then I am, it gets my heart racing, but I will say, you need to look. That is not allowed. Mm. we need to i i need to confront you on this yeah. so you you have a choice either you come back into compliance or we need to we need to step away yeah, and i yeah. don't like doing that but that's that's i'm glad i'm glad you said that do you think um like uh the uh cuz it's not just going to be you if you're bishop right you you're yeah. going to have a staff right <laughs> Uh, you, you, you'll have a staff. Do you have any like, uh, ideas of the kind of staff you want to surround yourself with? Like what are their giftings to help, um, hold up your giftings or to complement your giftings? Uh, the kind of, what kind of staff, what, what, what are the characteristics of the people you want around you? I will need one person at least who I can trust to tell me to get my rear end back on track. Okay. because I can chase squirrels. Okay. I can have all these great ideas and I can have all of my separate um, folders of this is this project and this is this project and this is this project. And suddenly I'll see a butterfly mm. and I will wax poetically and theologically about the beauty of God's creation and all this kind of stuff. And so I will need at least one person on staff who says, this is the timeline on this project. Have you done it? Because I recognize that um, my tendency is 
to keep pulling in more ideas and more ideas and more ideas until I'm crunch hour and then I'm killing myself and I'm kicking myself over why didn't I do this three weeks ago, a month ago. Yeah. And then the very next project, I follow that same pattern. Right. Um, so I was just saying this with one of my colleagues um, at another position. She was like, I, how do you feel? I said, no, please, please keep me in line. Hmm. I said, because my, up here I'm organized, but in real life, yeah. I, I easily get, I start waxing poetic instead of um, doing things. So that's one thing I would have to make sure that I had at least one staff member or assistant who was very, um, very administrative, very, don't forget we have this task that has to be done. Um, I, I have to say, you know, because I am a, touchy-feely, all about um, emotions and healing hearts and that kind of stuff. I know a big part of me would want everyone around me to be, you know, let's just stand in a circle and and hold hands and sing together. Um, so I, I might have a tendency to get people who are more chaplains and pastors and less administrative but I'd be looking for gifts that are different than mine. Hmm. Um, well, it's good so, that you know that about yourself, right? That's yeah. good that you know that kind of like, self-awareness. Like that's so you're you're self-aware, and and so you're saying like administration, like straight up administration, is not necessarily my go-to, my default setting. So you're going to need somebody who's really good at administration, you know, yeah. and 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 uh, at least you know that about yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and oh, and but, so. But before we get into our last, very last question for you, um, yeah. um, uh, we want, or before we get into our set of like our, our quick questions, um, yeah. uh, we want to give you two minutes. Um, what do you want us to know about you as it relates to Bishop? And we're asking to keep it to about two minutes, pretty briefly. Yeah. Now I'm starting to feel that anxiety from Monday night. <laughs> um, you know, I look at myself, I'm a 62 year old, white, cisgendered mom and grandma. And at times that doesn't always feel like it fits the model of what the church is heading toward. Um, but if, if my motherly instincts and grandmotherly instincts can assist the synod in moving to the next step i would be glad to do that mm. um, if that's not what the synod wants or needs at this point then i am 100 behind whoever we select pastor Lori, thank you uh for this really great conversation um so we got we got some rapid kind of questions. First things comes to mind. Um, and so here we go. Which food can you eat every day? Uh, pasta. What's your favorite movie genre? Superhero. Salty, sweet, or savory? Savory. 
in addition to the Bible, which book would you like with you on a deserted island? Anything by C.S. Lewis. What fills your cup? Hugs. What depletes your cup? Wow. Too many people at once. What's your favorite holy place? The beach. What was one piece of good advice that you've been given? You can't win the race in the first lap, but you can lose it there. Hmm. What does rest look like to you? Just sitting and snuggling with my dog. Lastly, what do you hope God will say to you when you enter the pearly gates? At a girl. Everybody, this has been the Reverend Lori Kaiser Boswell. Thank you so much. It has truly been our pleasure to to do this with you. Thank you, guys. This has been been fun, and it's yet another step in my exploring why someone put up my name for Bishop. <laughs> Let's see where this goes. Thanks there for, you go. for Thanks. coming on. God <laughs> bless. <laughs>